Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks, share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Do it. Here we go. Yep. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is Hal Hinkle, the CEO of BAM Core. Hal, thanks for being with, with us today. Thanks. It's a great pleasure. Pleasure to have you on. So, BAMCOR, folks, is a very impressive new disruptive technology that is tackling one of my favorites, uh, the real estate and construction industry, building materials, how that can shift the world. Because, well, we all need a place to live. And if we all are getting materials that are taking up carbon and have a, a life that's going to, I guess, uh, be a negative externality to the world, um, how do we rethink the homes we live in? How do we rethink the, the materials that builders need to build these homes and this podcast hopefully to educate those who are interested so how just to start us off what are some of the i guess just looking back some of the key milestones that would be helpful for viewers to know that led you to this point now well i think uh, to, to me the most interesting thing is i shouldn't be doing this <laughs> i um i was fortunate uh, I had a you know a very good career in finance. Um, I was fortunate. I already did a startup and it was very successful. I was fortunate. I went to medical school and got a PhD in a particular topic that I was interested in. And then I decided to retire for the third time. Except when we were building, when we were starting to build a retirement home, I asked the builder for the greenest possible technology he could provide. He gave me A and B and BAMCOR. I didn't pick BAMCOR. I picked B. But the BAMCOR thing got me. And I had just finished a big PhD. I spent eight years doing research. And so I spent the next year then trying to answer the question, could it be as good as it sounds? Could BAMCOR, nature's bamboo, nature's fastest growing and strongest structural fiber, which does not have a natural home in buildings today, except flooring. Was there a role to bring this carbon sequestering powerhouse into buildings? And sure enough, this guy who had founded the company, I'm not the founder, uh, uh, he had a really good idea. And after almost a year of researching, I became convinced and I, and I, and I, I said to him, okay, um, how about I start helping? Uh, I can make some investments and I can also help manage the company because he was a builder and not a formal manager. Hmm. And and lo and behold, I dived into the deep end. Uh, one should not do that in their life at, 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 at you know in retirement. But I dived into the deep end, and I've been and I've been swimming faster and harder than I ever have in my life. And this is absolutely the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've done some hard things. And it's the most important thing I'll ever have the chance to do, hmm. ever. Hmm. And so when I'm hitting my head against the wall or I'm 
uh, or successfully finding new twists and turns of what do you do with bamboo and other super fast fibers? And, uh, and, and but, it, but, but, but it's hard because the headwinds are there. It's not an industry that wants to change. I remember what's at risk. What's the fate here? And the fate here is climate change across the earth. And I'm an admitted climate hawk. I spent a lot of time studying the climate, a lot of time since 1999. And I'm convinced that we're pretty much cooking our stew. And we got to do what we can do. And almost all the options should be pursued. Mm. But even when you do that, if you look at the pie chart of where does greenhouse gases come from, there's one slice that's the hard, hard to cure slice. Mm. It's not building efficiency. It's not, it's not transportation. It's not renewable energy. It's building materials. Mm. And it's about 11% of global greenhouse gases. Mm. It's more in the global South. So think of all the places we're gonna have enormous population growth over the next five to 25 years. <clears throat> India is going to is going to is going to be a new China, and and as China got caught up with the U.S. or moving towards getting caught up with with lifestyles, the the carbon emissions of China became enormous. That's not a judgment against them because we've already done it, and now India is going to do that. Hmm. So if we don't bring to the global South new technologies on how to build. In this hardest, the hardest slice, this this building material slice, we're cooked. Now, what's really cool though, and I just came back from India, my first trip. <clears throat> what's really cool is, where do you think the bamboo grows? The bamboo grows exactly where people are going to be building all of the residences over the next twenty to twenty-five years. Mm. But they don't use it the way we've learned how to use it, and the way. You know, we've engineered it. They don't use it that way. They use it for very low-end, three to five-year buildings that, you know, they don't last, and that's fine. Mm. But the opportunity, which is what drives me, the opportunity is to have an impact on the way we build, not just here where, where my company is working to build market share, but also in the global south, where the climate impact is going to be huge. Mm. Hmm. That's exciting. And, and I'm curious to know what was so exciting when you first started to dive into the research that you, as someone with a, a background in, and with private equity, said, you know, this is an economical, scalable solution, which I guess reinstills the belief that we need to make a change in the world. What, what in the research excited you the most? Well, first of all, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. So I had a great career um, with one of the top firms, and uh, and I've seen I've seen wonderful transactions, and I, I have a soft heart, so I, I always have had a desire to balance the good and the gain in a in a transaction, right? Uh, but oftentimes we're pushed just to focus on the gain. Hmm. I had never seen an opportunity where the good and the gain intermix. We don't have a chance to be successful in our business at BAMCOR financially without also at the same time being successful environmentally. And if we succeed environmentally, we're, we're, we're sailing financially. 
And so of all the big transactions I ever got to work on in my whole career, I never saw one like this. Now, that again, that doesn't mean it's easy. It's hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. But I wouldn't back away from it. Not today. Not tomorrow. Mm -mm. I was not confident in the beginning. But it's been eight years now. And everything has come our way. Even the understanding that in the built sector, which is 40% of all emissions, it's the building materials that are the high frame, the high hanging fruit, the, 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 the solutions that are not easy to get. And the cool thing about, about bamboo is <clears throat> you can do things in the building material space with bamboo that you can't do with wood. You can't do with concrete. You can't do with steel. You can't do with brick. And, and, and our job is to figure out how to harness that hmm. and make it commercially viable, but also environmentally drive down embodied carbon. Hmm. Because embodied carbon, um, four years ago, I don't think I knew what embodied carbon was. And, uh, and I bet four years ago, you didn't either. And, and everybody knows that buildings should be more green. Great. But let's get detailed for once. Mm. Because if you make a building more energy efficient, the gain in that efficiency of the building, it's going to last for the life of the building, 50 years, 75 years, 100 years. So if you get a 10% improvement in the efficiency, you get 50 of those years. Okay? But embodied carbon is all in the atmosphere the day you walk in the building the first time. It's there. Mm. It's all there completely. You never get it back. It's all spent. And we've not thought about buildings that way. We've always thought about building efficiency. We haven't thought about <clears throat> we haven't thought about the embodied carbon that is in the atmosphere the day we step in the building the first time. Mm. And and the <clears throat> cool thing about bamboo, this is why it's so so different. And wood doesn't do this. The cool thing about bamboo is that when you, when you cut it and you put it into a building, it's storing the carbon that it got. But, but the next year, what you cut, if you go to the little clump and you cut that comb, that pole, you're going to see another one come back in the same place or, or, or you know, a foot over the next year, full height. It's back. It's completely recaptured carbon again. And it's stronger than wood. When I was in India, <clears throat> uh, we're sort of um, we're sort of data junkies. Uh, we want to know more about different types of bamboo than anybody else in the world. Because bamboo today is a very local crop. People only know what's by them. Right? There's not that much of a, a global knowledge base. And and we've gone around the world, our, our, our supply team, we've gone around the world looking for um, different species that we've never used before. And, and I've known of two species in India, primarily India, but you can grow them elsewhere. You can grow them here, not as well, but you can grow them here, that are, that are about 150% stronger than wood. So I'm thinking about all the all the beautiful new fancy mass timber buildings that all the corporations want to be in right the corporations have their 
their ESG credits that they want. And so they tell their landlords or the developers, I want my building to be super green. So they go out and they build a mass timber building instead of a concrete building. That makes some sense. However, as we're now working on engineering bamboo into mass timber, you can now use less material. You can have a stronger building, a taller building, a building with thinner walls, and a building that captures its carbon faster. Hmm. That's that's why bamboo is 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 so utterly utterly unique. It, it's very interesting. It's a novel concept that is kind of be you know floating around out there, but not that many people have heard or or really been I guess too interested to pursue something like that. I'm very very intrigued. And bamboo itself, Hal, is a uh, you know a bit of a I guess a I guess it's a bit of a, a story itself, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, uh, the story of bamboo goes, you know, you got to water it for three years to have it grow, you know, 30 feet. And so it's just the day after day of not giving up, of continuing to put energy into this after eight years and not quitting. And then finally, all of a sudden, the bamboo shoots up. Yeah. Question for you as well. Let's talk a little bit more about the economics. Is it lighter? Is it easier to cut transportation costs? What are some of the things you're looking at in terms yeah. of scalability right now? It's generally not lighter itself, but because it's stronger, you can use less of it. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So that may mean that the building ends up being lighter. And we did some analysis. We always have third parties do our analysis for us. And they picked a, a mass timber bamboo high rise and they picked a mass timber bamboo um, concrete tilt-up warehouse. And um, we haven't made these products yet other than in prototype, but they did the life cycle assessment, the LCA analysis, the carbon footprint on them. And relative to concrete and steel, the main way we build buildings, tall buildings today, the mass timber bamboo had had 50% less carbon footprint, 50% less. Okay, and, and so much of that is because the building itself can be lighter. You're not putting concrete and steel, you know, 15 to 20 stories in the air. You're putting something much lighter in the air. And that translates all the way down to the footings in the, in the, base, in the basement. And so you have less concrete in your footings and your foundation. Mm. And anytime you have less concrete, you're saving money and you're saving carbon. Sure. So in the mid-rise, high-rise, and, and, the, and the commercial market, we haven't put this product in the marketplace yet. We started with the, uh, the up to five stories residential. This product, the mass timber bamboo product, I think it'll be, uh, it'll be less expensive than uh, the current pricing of CLT. Seems like CLT, uh, cross-laminated timber, mass timber, has a pretty nice profit margin. Um, and this and and this can outperform, so it will need less of it, so it can be cheaper. Hmm. In a standard um, sort of single-family house or, or an apartment building, better because that's where we're, we're a bit of a specialist in, in, in uh, multifamilies. Um, it's not the bamboo; it's it's what we do with the bamboo. So, and you've made some of these points. So. Because the bamboo is stronger, the walls are better thermal, the walls are better acoustic, the walls can be better fire, 
the walls are better air leakage. Okay, so now if I take all those properties around a whole envelope of a building, I'm gonna save money by eliminating sheetrock. I'm gonna save money by eliminating studs and headers and posts. I'm gonna save money on possibly downsizing my HVAC system. I'm gonna save money on possibly using a less expensive window and door package because the walls themselves, which are 80 to 85% of the envelope are so efficient. Hmm. I don't have to, I don't have to pay super premium because my walls aren't great. If you think about it, um, and, and we've done a lot of uh, third parties that work with this, a lot of um, uh, thermal analysis. It's the cheapest way to get the, to get the best result. Mm. Because if you're gonna get a, a high performance HVAC system, you're gonna pay a lot of money because there's a lot of technology in that. Sure. If, sure. if you take a, a very simple building envelope and you just change it a little bit to use our product as opposed to sticks and studs, you don't really pay that much more, but the dollar savings translates around the whole building. Sure, sure. And, you know, if I'm an investor, especially someone who wants to develop, you know, a new multifamily property, um, you know, if, I, if I'm a home buyer right now, you're looking around looking or a multifamily home buyer, you know, you're looking around, you're seeing these, these buildings, you know, 1950, 1970, which is now, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old. We're in 2022. Uh, the the um, lifetime of that building is going to continue to depreciate, right? And so we're going to have to make some some changes. Whereas if with a new construction, the what you're I guess what you're saying is the the lifetime of that building is just going to be a, a more it's going to be more extended. Uh, it's going to save you energy costs. It's going to save you building costs. And for folks that haven't, and I I really implore you listeners out there, please go to their website to look at how these buildings come to life. It is oh, like yeah. a, yeah. a life-size Tetris slash Ikea setup that is just, it's all thought out. So Hal, if you could just bring our audience into that yeah. visualization, how do these buildings come to life? Yeah, that's really great. You know, you, you use one of the uh, phrases one of my daughter calls it, she calls it an Ikea house. Yeah, exactly. So, so um, you know, we make these super strong panels, but we don't sell the panels. We, 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 sell, we sell frames for buildings. And so what we're selling is an absolutely pre-customized, prefabricated in the factory, everything to the millimeter. Mm. So we have to take the plans from the architect and the structural engineer, and we have to model them out into 3D. And then, and then from that modeling, we will panelize uh, each floor, go around and panelize it. And it's not just drawing lines. You have to have the right kind of panel in the right kind of place. Mm -hmm. And once we've done that, then we put it into our fabrication queue. The customer signs off and you know, looks at beautiful 3D drawings and says, okay, it, it all makes sense. Um, and then we put it in our fabrication queue. And then state-of-the-art computerized cutters and printers take panels and they print right on the panel everything you know about the panel. What's the panel location? Um, where do you put your nails in that panel? Uh, are you gonna have any wires in the wall behind that panel? Anything that we need to, we can print on it just like an HF pair. And then on the other side of the same, uh, uh, on the other side of the same, the, the same computerized cutter, we do the cutting. And so when we're done, we just keep stacking, you know, pallets of these panels in the order that they're gonna get put up in the field. That's the key. So we've pre-planned 
the first to the last panel once we start to cut. So we deliver pallets to the field. You don't need cranes. We deliver pallets to the field. You take the first panel off and you just put it into position and you work your way around uh, just in order. And one of the main problems we have today is labor and skilled labor. You do not need to have skilled labor because all of the hard stuff, all the complicated cutting, all the complicated measuring, all the crazy angles on a funny roof line, all that's done on the computer and then cut by a computerized router. Hmm. So once you're in the field, all you all you need is a nail gun. Right. Literally. That's all you need is a nail gun. And and we we we've gone from the idea of there's no English is required to no construction literacy is required. Literally, I could do it. I could do it. Mm. And we've had a case, um, we've had lots of cases. People, people assume it's harder. And we had five students from the University of Utah design a duplex for their architecture class. We donated the, the, the framing. And none of them had ever been on a job site. Why somebody should be an architect and never been on a job site, I'm not sure. But they'd never been on a job site. And, and they stood there and stared at it for a few minutes. And I don't think it was 30 minutes. They were rolling. I think it was, I think it was either equal male, female, or it was one more female than males. They were rolling. And they had, they had five eighths of the building done that afternoon. Mm. It is that simple. Mm. And, and, you, and you, we keep saying you can't make mistakes, but we'll go in the field and we'll see somebody turn a panel upside down. We'll think, oh, how could they do that? So, um, but it, it is, a big key to the value is the speed with which it can go up without skilled labor. Right. That's right. big. It's big for multifamily developers. No, absolutely. And, and that's where I was so interested in, to, in what you were talking about earlier in terms of the Southern Hemisphere. Because uh, if you watch these videos, folks, it's, you're like, hmm, I think I could probably do this. And so let's talk about the, the impact that this could have. You know, for folks in the Southern Hemisphere who are living in favelas, in slums, in areas where uh, someone's coming in and say, hey, look, I think we have a solution here. One, we can increase wages. We can increase jobs in the local area. What do you need? What are you looking for in terms of those regions, whether it's from a governance perspective, investment perspective, area, uh, real estate? What are you, how are you, I guess, approaching these uh, southern these regions in the, in the Southern Hemisphere? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> we've actually we've actually looked at the five to uh, the, tw the twenty thirty to twenty fifty population projections, and there's there's almost no difference in trajectory between India and Indonesia and Thailand and the Philippines, and now jump over to uh, Brazil. Uh, jump to South Africa, the, the, the same thing happens. Um, there's, a, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rise in social economics status um, per capita, and that begets a, a demand for more better housing and, and more urbanization so whereas in the past, somebody might be happy to stay in the village they were born. Um, this is not a, I'm not, they don't have a moral view on this or an ethical view. Uh, more and more and more, they want to be in, in, in the city because that's where the opportunities are going to be. Right. 
So that urban migration, that urbanization, that happened in China. It is happening in India. It is starting to happen in Indonesia. It's, it's starting to happen in Nigeria. So those, those big human forces, they're mm. just going to, they're just going to go. It's, um, uh, yeah, it, it is just in us. It's just in us. At the same time, the amount of building we're going to do in the Northern hemisphere in the, in the global North, uh, we're going to build more sustainably for sure, but it's not going to be nearly to the same degree. Mm. Not nearly. You know, it's just another classic example of an, an entrepreneur and a CEO who understands economics and sees a problem out there and is solving this problem that is decreasing carbon emissions, bringing people out of poverty, providing cleaner, safe living environments, making more money. As we make more money, we solve these problems again and again. Question for you, Hal. A, even the best home builder can't just... Bring in properties. I guess they can now. Bring in, bring in materials and just go and say, hey, I'm going to build it from scratch. You as a business owner, as a CEO of an organization, how are you going about the plan to grow this organization? Well, you have to find, um, you have to find the early adopters and the believers, right? Um, be, uh, I wouldn't say that in, in all cases, but this is, uh, and, and, and if I've had, you know, if I have bruise on my forehead, I could not have anticipated how resistant to change the industry is. I, I just couldn't have. Oh, okay. Um, and, but it's a big industry. Oh my God, it is a huge industry. It's the biggest industry on planet. It's bigger than automotive by, by a factor, I don't know, by there's a factor of probably four or five. So, so once you take a large perspective, you find the parties that either have acute labor problems and say, I'm not gonna get hung up again. I wanna be in the ground, coming out of the ground and I want to be dried in as fast as I can. And your framing solution is all about speed without labor. I'll take it. Mm. Okay. So two to three years ago, that was the main theme. And it's part of our, what we do because we prefabricate as we've been more and more focused or more and more impacted by climate change. Now, only now, only like in the last six, six plus months have builders started to say, and, and you have a good carbon footprint, don't you? Mm -hmm. And yes, we do, but we've really never sold on a carbon footprint ever, ever. Now, I think the US is behind the EU and, and the UK and even Canada. I think the US is behind the global South on, on the carbon sustainability of our buildings, at least from what I've seen. And I don't think we're gonna stay there I think we'll catch up, but right now, because of the of the of the recent uh, climate act, the uh, IRA, um, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, we'll, uh, there's going to be a lot of focus on just what's in that act, mm. and it's for, for the consumer. It's mostly elect, uh, electric vehicles, etc. Um, buildings didn't get included, and that's not unusual. Buildings always get ignored, it seems, but if you jump over to Europe. The EU is looking at an embodied carbon regulation for new buildings. And California, Thursday, I think Thursday of last week, did pass the first decarboniz de building decarbonizing re regulation called oh, really? Assembly Bill 2446. And, and just as 
California originally set the high thermal standards for operating the building and different states around the country to varying degrees began to ratchet up their standards. I think the same thing is going to happen here hmm. over time. Hmm. And, um, and, and, and that opportunity for the global north to take a true leadership, I think is really great. And this, this, this plugs into a Department of Energy award we were given that focuses solely on making our most negative, most carbon negative product more carbon negative. Hmm. Uh, I was surprised, but they said, what you're doing is absolutely unique. You got to make it more. And so um, hmm. it, uh, the formal research that we'll be doing is a couple million dollar award. The formal research um, uh, underneath the DOE will, will, will start October 1. That's the fiscal year of the government, right? Um, and, 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 and the whole goal is to take down the carbon, um, to reduce the, uh, increase the carbon negativity of our product. Hmm. And if we get that done, it's like the building is, the building is a perfect carbon store. That would be so amazing. Hmm. It's interesting, and I wish you all the best, obviously. Um, now, how you start this conversation, you kind of mentioned, you know, I, I, I didn't need to do this. You know, I, I, <laughs> I didn't think I'd be here. I was retired. This is my third retirement. Curious to know, what are some of the leadership lessons that you've learned over the past eight years? Wow. Well, uh, first, I would say inspiration comes you can find inspiration everywhere you look. You just you just have to be alert to it. When I, um, I, I'm always looking for the big in the small, the big in the small. So I'll find somebody doing something, and I'll say, my God, they didn't have to do that, but look, they did that. Wow, what if we all did that? Hmm. Wouldn't that be cool? So. Um, and and I, and I think in part leadership is is setting an example that keeps people open to bringing in information that with a good filter, a good moral filter, um, uh, you can use and you can carry on. Um, the there 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 have been lots of challenges that we've faced, and, and I've questioned my own leadership from time to time. Uh, we had a lady threaten to sue us because we couldn't deliver. And, and actually we didn't, but she never even had a contract, but, but she'd heard about us and she wanted us, our, she wanted our product. And, and she kept pounding, pounding, pounding. You have to give it to me. She was gonna have a big open house. She wanted it. And I, uh, and I, I, had, to, I had to stand firm about it, but because I didn't think we had done anything wrong, but, but the headwinds were so strong. So I think, I think part of leadership is knowing that you're going to question yourself hmm. and you got to get used to that. And it's not fun. It would be great if there was a, a roadmap and if you stayed on the road, you'd be in great shape. But the truth is, if you're, if you're leading a cause, you don't get a roadmap hmm. and, and you have to read, you have to sort of read the path as you're going along and stay open to it. Hmm. I love that. Being comfortable with questioning yourself. Um, curious to know also how, you know, for you, what separates the good companies from the great companies? Oh my gosh. Um, well, first remember I did have that whole wall street career, right? 
And in those days, you know, I was, you know, a, a young, young tyke. And I, I, I would look at the great companies and I would think in those days, the great companies were uh, GE as an example, IBM as an example, uh, even Exxon back then as an example, they were huge global, highly effective companies. And what has happened, what has happened, and, and I grew up in the, in the, um, uh, the Phil, there's a whole theory of economics by a guy out of Pittsburgh named Philip Sporn, who is, you know, companies don't hold them back. It's not their job to be moral, it's their job to make profits, right? And I am, I, I, I don't have a model for how much ESG, how much the constituents, how much the stakeholders have gotten a voice in, in modern corporate governance. It, I don't have a model for it. I'm totally shocked. Hmm. I think it's good. I think it's good. Um, but it, it also is without a roadmap. So you get a lot of, shall we say, creative reporting on ESG investments by some pretty big corporations. And then you'll get, uh, because, because they, they just have to have a good story. And if the story didn't work out as well as they wanted it to, then they're pushed against the wall. Um, you'll find some smaller organizations that do smaller things. The story isn't as grand, but they stuck with it and they had a real impact. So I don't think it's the size of the impact that 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 attracts me to a great company. I I think it's the the quality of the impact mm -hmm. that they went for it, they withstood the headwinds, um, uh, it it fit their stakeholder universe. Our stakeholder universe includes the people that grow bamboo. And 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 they don't they don't make hundred dollars a month. Right, and so it, it, it's that whole range, and and as we build our business, we've got to be mindful of that. We've got to be mindful of big customers that want product on time, and they don't care about anything else. But it's it goes back goes back to that the the big and the small. Mm -hmm. If I I think I have to watch a company and see if they can balance the big and the small, if they can see the small, and and then turn it into a big opportunity when it makes sense. I don't mean a necessarily financial opportunity. Mm. And I think you are seeing that in, in a lot, uh, you know what? Um, uh, I'm not gonna remember everybody that was in the syndicate. Stripe was in the syndicate. Um, I think Fast Companies was in the syndicate. Um, there were a couple of people in the syndicate, you know, firms in the syndicate. And, and, and they said, we gotta start now for, for climate change. We gotta start absolutely right now. And it's not, it's not, do we have the right answer? It's, is this answer in the right direction, mm -hmm. right? You can't wait. If we wait for a right answer, all the tipping points will be tipped. Right. And so to me, very often, and I would add this to uh, both the leadership and the, and the looking at great companies, is it's not, is it's not, is it absolutely right? But is it good? Is it good at staying in the right direction? Mm. Because you always have the pressures off course, right? Right, right. Yeah, and, and I think what you're doing an excellent job at is, is understanding that the world's greatest problems are there also the world's greatest business opportunities. And, and, and opportunities are really going to transform lives. And that's impact yeah. to me. What is impact to you, Hal? Well, uh, I, I say to my kids that this is the most important thing I can do. And... Um, and it's the biggest impact I'll ever have. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and I'm grateful that I have the opportunity. And we may fail. Oh, Lord, we could fail. Um, but, it, but even if we fail, the ideas that we have advanced, they're going, the, the idea is unbeatable. Mm -hmm. Of that, I'm absolutely sure. Mm -hmm. and, and to have the opportunity to push that, that combination of good and gain, where you have to see the big in the small, that idea set, building from nature's fastest growing fibers into the built environment, it's, it's going to go. And mm -hmm. as it goes, I know it's helping the climate. And, and I can be grateful that I had some part in that. Well, it's a powerful force, as you uh, so eloquently put it. Um, how, where can people find more information about BAMCOR? How can they help? Oh, okay. Um, well, I, I was going to say, uh, Bamcor began as a as a as a be as a bedraggled uh, gaggle of volunteers. None of us got paid in the beginning. Uh, we just thought, hey, this is a cool idea. We should work on it together. Uh, and now we're a real company. You know, we have balance sheet and income statement and and capital and and uh, deliveries and products and product development. Um, and I'm really really excited about that. Um, I what well, one one. At the moment, we are always looking for new capital, new strong, semi-permanent capital. Um, that is th th that's the lifeline. We don't have that; we can't make it. Mm. Um, two, we we are trying. We've lived off one salesperson until two months ago. Mm. For eight years, we had one salesperson. Wow. He was also our IT guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and now. We're starting to get a national footprint because we have four people out. So getting the word out that there's other ways to build, that's that's key. Mm. The part of the hard thing about this industry is it has a really long lead cycle. Somebody can say, hey, I like that. Let's do that. But that won't turn into a, a delivered job and revenue for nine months to 18 months. Mm. And that's why the capital is important because it's a long lead time business. Mm. And interest rates didn't help. Obviously, what we're straight shot up. So you're looking for long-term investors, impact investors who understand, you know, a personal return as well as a environmental return and, a, and also a financial return. Yeah, um, yeah. It's marrying the good and the gain. Hal, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today, my friend. I, I really enjoyed this conversation and learned a lot, as always. Uh, let's bring this home now. What is your definition of a real leader? I'm tempted, I would botch it if I did, but I, I'm tempted to try to, to, to quote the, the, the Chinese military historian Lao Tse. I'm not even sure if that's how you pronounce his name. But, but there are a number of, of real pointed uh, translations about, about leadership that, that, that are, I think are attributed to him. And, and leaders are people that, that um, it's like a teacher. Teachers should teach as though you taught them not. Things unlearned as things forgot, right? You you want to you you want you want you want to get the best spirit in your people to drive them forward without you pushing from behind or you pulling from the front. You want them to be your peers alongside. That's hard. That requires it requires a real lot of fit work to get the right people mm -hmm. right to do that. 
But if you can do that, then it's not Hal's show or it's not the head of sales or the head of marketing's show. It's the team that will win. Mm. And, and there's no way to win by yourself. I, you know, maybe ping pong, okay? But you have to be on a team and you have to believe in your team. Mm. You have to be willing to protect your team um, and stay committed to it. And if you do that, I, I think um, you, you can lead and you can have the impact that you want if, if your team will line up with you. And like I said earlier, you don't always know. You can question yourself. Oh Lord, there's nothing, there, there's nothing more haunting, but more regular than, 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 than to have a thought, you know, just a straight thought by myself. Oh my God, am I doing the right thing? Only time will tell, but if you're flexible and you stay focused on the direction you're going, don't say it's right, just say it's the right direction. I think that's the best we can do. It, it, it's amazing what can happen when no one takes credit, right? I love that. Yes. I think if that was they're in Jocelyn. I think that was Harriet Truman that said something like that. Okay. Hal, it's I, been a I, pleasure having you on the show today. Really enjoyed this conversation. Learned a lot. Best of luck with the business. You. I hope that we can help with this podcast. And for everyone listening out there, go out there, line up right next to your team, and always, folks. Keep it real. Thanks, Hal. Thanks so much, Kevin. Talk to you later. Hey, Relators, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Relators.com today, you're gonna get the first 30 days for free where you're gonna be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.